It is January 9th, a new podcast, a week full of promises, all kinds of wonderful things are going to happen this week. Today, what we're going to talk about, Jacob Wheeler's got all kinds of revelations he's learned from using forward-facing sonar. We're going to get into that. Some exciting stuff there, I think, is worth talking about. Uh, also, rain gear. I've got rain gear right here that has uh, basically stopped working. Uh, there's a story in... Is it, it's either Target Walleye or Bass Blaster. Actually, I think it's Bass Blaster. They get into rain gear and why it stops working. I've had a real problem with it. I want to talk about that and what you could do to alleviate that. Also, um, there, there's it's crazy. We've talked about this before, but electronics and all the stuff that you can put on boats. I got a funny photo to show you uh, related to that. Um, if you are lucky enough to be watching the video podcast, um, we'll talk about just in general how crazy it is to have so much electronics on your boat nowadays. Also, uh, a giant Twin Cities crappie. This was actually caught yet, uh, last year, but uh, I want to get into it because I've thought about this quite often. I live in the Twin Cities area, and uh, we'll get into that. Just a big, big crappie caught in the city limits. So we're going to talk about that. A new Rapala ice jig. And Mercury's come out with a revolutionary motor. So what do you say? Let's get into it. A new Another Fishing Podcast. This isn't Another Fishing Podcast. This is Another Fishing Podcast. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining me. It has been an incredible week. I have not gotten out ice fishing yet, but I plan to this week. I'm kind of debating what the heck I'm going to do, though. That's the that's the the key. Like, am I going to go up to the horseshoe chain of lakes and target some uh, catfish, some channel catfish through the ice? You may have seen a video that I've done about that in the past. Uh, we're checking out on the Angling Uploaded YouTube channel. Just look up in our playlist, Catfish uh, Angling, and you'll see it in there. Um, I, I've really loved to fish for catfish through the ice. Not a lot of places you can do it, but the places where you can do it, it is such a blast. I can't even explain to you how fun it is. Catfish fight hard as hell through the ice, and they take lures just like a walleye would. So you can use like jigging spoons, um, all kinds of different stuff. The important part is, is that you have some meat on there that they can hone in on, and it's fun because they'll they'll bite uh, very similarly to to walleyes. So very fun there. Probably going to do that, or um, I might go into you know the Minneapolis St. Paul, um, you know the Twin Cities. That's what we call it. Uh, not far from me here, and I might I you know I'm I'm tempted. I don't know if I'm going to do it this week, but. Sometime soon, I really want. There's so many lakes in. Uh, it's called the City of Lakes. Minneapolis is called the City of Lakes, and there's so many lakes. And whenever I'm driving, you know, downtown, I'm always amazed that I don't really see as many people ice fishing as maybe you would expect. So I do wonder if there's some uh, opportunities going on there that. Um, you know, I might be missing out on and just it would be kind of fun just to explore those lakes and see if I can't uh, 
I can't get into some panfish, some crappies or something like that. So uh, we'll get into this later, but there's a story where a guy, some guys do just that. They, they basically target crappies downtown and they caught a, a massive one. So we'll talk about that here shortly. But um, I'm, I'm thinking about doing that. Um, I might do some walleye fishing on a lake nearby me. I see some. One of the, one of the tips I can give, it's not really a tip. It's kind of like cheating maybe. Uh, one of the things I like to do is, is uh, when I'm ice fishing, because I'm kind of a mediocre. I'm not even sure I'm a mediocre ice fisherman. I, I got a lot to, to learn, which is kind of stupid because I've filmed in my career. I'm a freelance videographer. Um, I have filmed a ton of ice fishing, so I really should be better than I am. But this year we're going to change all that. I'm going to become an exceptional ice fisherman uh, just before spring gets here. So I'm also thinking about uh, doing some walleye fishing near lake uh, near me. And one of the reasons why, I, how I kind of determine if a lake is is kind of um, on fire is how many permanent shelters have been placed on that body of water, on you know specific areas of that body of water. So if there's a bunch of shelters, you know, permanent shelters where people are leaving the shelter overnight, that to me, and if there's a number of them in an area, and I'm not saying this is scientific whatsoever, I know it's not actually. I'd like to hear in the comments whether you think this is a good or a bad idea. But what I'm gonna do and what I've done in the past is I kind of scope out places and if people have felt confident enough to put their shelter, which is kind of a giant pain in the ass, to be honest, to, to have to go through all the rigmarole of getting your shelter out there and setting it all up, and then the darn thing can get frozen into the ice. So when someone sets a permanent shelter down, in my mind, what I'm thinking is that they're like, this is a really good spot, and I'm going to really settle in right here because it's so good. So what do I do? I fish around those areas. Um, yeah. That's what I do. I'm I'm I would like to say that I'm not ashamed by it, but I kind of am ashamed by it. Is there anybody else there uh, out there that does the same thing? I'd like to like to know. But that's kind of, you know, that's kind of one of the the, the the ways. Also, I mean, obviously, people at a you know a convenience store or something. I'm getting uh, gas and getting some. Uh, stuff to go ice fishing. I also want to hear if there's any um, dock talk, if you will. doesn't really apply to ice fishing. I don't know what you'd call it. But basically, if there's anybody in that gas station, if I overhear anything, uh, even the gas station attendant, the convenience store guy working behind the counter, he might have some information on where to go. So I kind of uh, go by that too. But really, more than anything, it's me driving around and seeing if there's any kind of activity going on the lake. Um, shelters, you know, permanent shelters in one area. I am really, you know, if it looks like there's a little city developing, I'm really interested in seeing what the heck's going on in those places. But the trick is to get out there before the city really, like you, you want it to be a small town if, because if it gets to be a small city, then, you know, those fish, those schools of fish that might be below all those permanents, could be just absolutely hammered and decimated and you don't have any supply of fish down there anymore. So you want to target those places when it's just a little tiny small town and it's starting to build up. Get out there then. That's my ice fishing strategy. So I'm probably, um, I, I, it's either walleyes, crappies, or catfish. 
I'm kind of leaning on catfish. I know that area up there relatively well, kind of know what's going on up there. Uh, when uh, you know, I live in central Minnesota. The best fishing you have is when you get up north more. And so to find fishing down here, you really got to, you know, good walleye fishing specifically is what I'm talking about. But really, you know, even crappie fishing, you really got to do your homework. Um, and that's something I need to start doing. Honestly, I need to get with it here uh, because before you know it, and what I've noticed is that ice fishing can be over just like that. I see all this money being spent, and I love it. I'm all for it, man. Ice fishing's fun. Uh, a lot of money being spent now, but man, the season can go very, very quickly. Um, so it's important to get out and scout and make use of your time, and that is what I'm going to start doing this week. Um, I'm probably leaning on going, I don't know. I have a lake right near me that it seems like there's some walleye action happening. It's either that, most likely what's going to happen, it's either that or I go out and uh, I go up north of, of, of where I live right here and, and I uh, try to catch some catfish. So that's the plan. As I sip a uh, delicious purified um, water from this, uh, what am I talking about right now? Let's get into this podcast. I have a real problem with uh, OCD and ADHD, and I'm, I'm not medicated at all. So if I go on little tangents, I apologize. Who gives a damn about your water, Greg? So let's get into it. I want to talk about um, this week. So again, I've said this on the last podcast. As you've noticed here again, I'm doing this solo. going to try to do these more on the regular, solos on the regular, every Monday. Um, doing podcasts, but to do these consistently, I'm going to have to do these, um, just me and my, my lonesome here. And, um, you know, hopefully you'll get, you're, you're getting some kind of value from this. Uh, if not, let me know, what do you want to see in this podcast? What do you want to hear? Uh, if you're watching the podcast on angling uploaded, our YouTube channel, uh, let me know in the comments what I can do to improve. I'm all about improving. Um, I want to make uh, this as best a podcast that this can be with the time that I have. So any uh, ideas you have, I want to hear them, put them in the comments. But um, so podcasts are for Mondays. I'm going to try to get these podcasts out around five, but sometimes it's going to be later in the evening. Uh, so I realistically, they're just going to pop up on Mondays uh, when I can get them uploaded to YouTube as far as for the, um, uh, you know, for the video portion of the podcast. For the audio, that should be able to, you know, I should be able to get the audio up by 5 p.m. Um, available on all the podcasting apps, so you can check it out there. And I'm just going to be, the, what I've made up in my mind is that, you know, it's uncomfortable doing these solo. I'll be completely honest with you. Believe it or not, um, I'm very critical of myself. So when I listen back to these podcasts, it's very painful. Um, I would rather hear someone else talk. And so, but it's important that we do these consistently. So, um, I'm just going to I'm going to continue to do these, continue to improve, but it would be very helpful if you could uh, give me pointers on how to improve what you'd like to see in this podcast. Uh, go to uh, our uh, YouTube channel Angling Uploaded and put your comments in uh, put your comment in the comment section of this 
uh, podcast. Be nice, please. I'm very sensitive. No one likes real negative comments. I mean, you can be critical. Like, be, uh, what's the term? Um, be a compassionate cr- uh, critiquer. That's what I'm going to say because I'm very sensitive. But we're, uh, so basically podcasts on Mondays, uh, 5 o'clock, should have no problem getting those to all the podcast apps. But as far as the video, uh, the video portion of this, it takes a little bit more time to upload to the Angler up- Uploaded YouTube channel. So bear with me on that. Um, but it should be, you know, Monday evenings, the, po- the video podcast will be up. Uh, we are also going to be doing underwater videos on Wednesday. So, um, I'll kind of get into, uh, well, might as well do it right now. So this coming Wednesday, this Wednesday. So what would that be? Today's the ninth. It would be the 11th. Uh, I am going to be uploading, like getting into this bag here. Uh, basically underwater video, ice fishing, uh, specifically, this is for all those ice fishermen out there. Sorry, I needed another sip of water here. Going to be doing a uh, underwater videos of clams soft plastics. So they're Mackie, uh, they're Mackie plastics. I am such a fan of these Mackie plastics because you know, I'm not sure they were the first to really dial in the micro soft plastics, you know, the really more detailed, um, you know, small ice fishing soft plastics. I, if they're, what's great about them, they're hand poured and they've got all kinds of different designs, uh, designs that really mimic what you find in the water uh, just all year long. But really what, what fish really key on this time of year um, these smaller invertebrates, I like saying invertebrates, 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 invertebrates. Let's say that. I like saying that because it makes me sound more intelligent. But I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be showing how these baits look underwater. I'm gonna go through uh, like the whammy here. There's all kinds whammies. There's minnow heads. There are mackies. L- listen, to the name of these things, matdies, M-A-T-D-I's. I'm gonna be filming all of these. The bloody, and uh, so look for that on Wednesday. We're just going to be checking out what uh, you know what these soft plastics look like under the water. I'm always uh, intrigued by that. I I, I love seeing how uh, really any kind of lure looks underwater. But what's exciting is that with this new kind of uh, generation of soft plastics, it's fun to be able to, to see um, how well they work underwater, how, you know, specifically these, these clam Mackie plastics, uh, because they're hand poured, what's that action going to be like? Last week I did a video <clears throat> using Berkeley's, um, kind of highlighting Berkeley's uh, Powerbait Ice, some of their selection of soft plastics. They use a formulation that has scent in it. Um, I think the action, it might make those plastics a little less supple than these Mackie plastics that don't have that scent in there like the power bait does. But I will, um, it'll be interesting to see if there's much of a difference. So going to do that on Wednesday. Check that out. And then on uh, Fridays, Fishing Fridays, we are going to be doing, it's going to be, we're, 
You know, I loved, if you followed this channel for any length of time, I absolutely love smallmouth bass fishing on the Mississippi River. And luckily for me, I live not far from the Mississippi River. So I uh, attempted to catch some smallmouth bass in winter. I live near a stretch that's open all year long because of the beauty, the scientific uh, uh, wonders of nuclear power. They, uh, the, the Mississippi River near me is open all year long because of a warm water discharge. So the smallmouth bass fishing can be oftentimes incredible. And so that's the video on Friday. I am attempting to catch smallmouth drop shotting on the Mississippi River in winter. So be sure to check that out. But without any further ado, uh, well, so that's basically the lineup of, of videos for this week. Also, I'm going to be kind of, what would you say, uh, sprinkling throughout the week uh, shorts, short videos. So that's YouTube's version of a, kind of like a version of a story. It's, it's essentially vertical video that's a minute or less. And so I'll be putting some of that um that footage sprinkled throughout the week on YouTube. And also you can find it on our Instagram. So go to Angling Uploaded, um, just search that on Instagram and you can find uh, some videos of ours there and some behind the scenes kind of stuff. I also put up there, so check that out. So that's what's happening this week. And um, why don't we get into the news of fishing throughout the world specifically this country. This isn't world fishing news, let's be honest. This is national fishing news, and we're going to get right into it. Um, this brought to you by the great folks at uh, Bass Blaster. They have a newsletter. I highly recommend it. And if you're not checking out uh, the newsletter, you can also just go to BassBlaster.com. Jay Kumar runs that. You know anything about uh, Jay Kumar, he's been in the bass fishing media business for a long time. Um, so he's uh, doing a great job here with Bass Blaster. And I get a lot of my, I'm not going to lie, I get a lot of my uh, news of the fishing world through Bass Blaster and also through Target Walleye. So TargetWalleye.com, they also have a newsletter, an email newsletter. Um, so you guys should check it out. So I find this Incredibly interesting. So Jacob Wheeler, who I have worked with a ton, um, I am a, if you don't know it, I'm a Major League Fishing cameraman. I'm a freelance videographer. One of my gigs is Major League Fishing, one of my great, great uh, clients. And so I've worked with Jacob Wheeler a ton, and uh, he is without question a phenomenal fisherman. And so he's, um, he's noticed some stuff while using forward-facing sonar. And he says, if there's one thing that forward-facing sonar has taught me, it's that everything we assumed about bass behavior that came from books, magazines, and videos from years past is mostly false. And mostly false. So it's so important, even when you're listening to a knucklehead like me, right? I am going to have some ideas. I'm going to have some notions in my head related to fishing that might not necessarily be true. 
And what's important, and, and it's not that I'm, tr- I'm lying to you, it's what I think is going on out there, uh, you know, in the water. But what's important is that more often than not, when you read something in a magazine or you hear something um, on a television show or maybe even see something on a YouTube uh, video, uh, you got to take this stuff with a grain of salt because in fishing, it's mostly theories, right? We can't go underwater and swim underwater. And, and even if we did, just us merely being in the water with a fish is affecting their behavior. So much of what we um, have had to do, especially in the past, is we've had to theorize. And I really believe that what's ha- what happens often, and I've probably been guilty of it, um, is that we like to make, a fishermen like to make pronouncements, like their gospel of what the fish are doing and why they're doing it. And I think that's completely wrong. Um, I think we, we should, we, when we're doing, when we're trying to educate, I think uh, it's, it's better to um, talk theoretically. Um, this is what I believe the fish are doing. Instead of being so um, set that this is what they're doing and this is why they're doing it. Because the reality is there's so many f- variables in fishing that you can't, you can't, um, you, you can't make broad uh, uh, pronouncements. You know, you, you can't, there, there's, there's just too much going on. You, you have all the factors just uh, that, that's happening in the lake or the river that you're fishing, high water, low water, cold water, warm water, uh, the, I mean, there's tons of factors, right? The water clarity, yada, yada, yada. But then you have the fish, which is obviously a, a living organism, uh, organism, has its own little brain. I don't care what you say. Yeah, it's got a little brain, but fish do things that, that um, oftentimes just make you scratch your head. So you can't, you can't just uh, think that you got everything figured out. So... What Wheeler's talking about with this forward-facing sonar is that now with forward-facing sonar, you can see how fish are behaving. You can see where fish are, number one. So it's like you got, you got x-ray vision now. Whereas before, to know if fish were there or not, you would have to fish for them. And you would, I, I've done it myself many times. I'd be like, well, I've, I'd fish the hell out of an area. And I'd be like, uh, yeah, they're just, these fish have moved, right? These fish have moved. Yeah, they're not here anymore. They've gone somewhere. Well, with forward-facing sonar, what you can do is you can scan an area and you could see if those fish are there. And you could fish an area and you haven't got any bites, but with that forward-facing sonar, you could see, well, no, they're there. They're just just not biting. And um, I've seen that oftentimes you know, filming with Major League Fishing now and the advent of forward-facing sonar, just the, the fact that people that thought fish had moved um, are actually still there and they're just not wanting to eat what you're throwing at them. So that, that's, uh, there, there's all kinds of revelations that are coming out because of forward-facing sonar. And many of these, um, uh, these, these, these theories are not... So much of what we thought what was uh, was happening is not 
exactly happening. And so if this is happening in the bass fishing world, it's no doubt happening in all uh, aspects of, of fishing. So uh, Jacob Wheeler says this about forward-facing sonar. Um, other than other than actually spawning, which we could already see, bass simply do not behave in all these certain ways at certain times we have learned over the years. Literally every single day that I study fish on a forward-facing sonar, I learn something new about them that I never knew. What's truly mind-boggling is how much we actually don't know about bass. That's why so many young anglers are coming in and crushing in the sport these days. Their heads are not full of a bunch of bass behavior myths. Their minds are clean slates learning what bass really do. And so what's important is that you know you take that, um, that idea and you, you apply that to all forms of fishing. It's just not bass fishing. Anglers say that fish are doing all kinds of things that oftentimes they're not doing exactly. We're just, it's all theoretical, right? So just keep in mind that, um, that f- fish are, fish are very, they're, they're very peculiar and don't get set in your ways. And that's, what's really fun about this forward facing sonar is that it's just, it's knocking all kinds of myths, uh, down. So, the real brief context for that, and this is back. This is Jay Kumar now from uh, Bass Blaster. He says the real brief context for that comment implies that there's a lot more to bass than, ju- than just the bank versus offshore. Been hearing this kind of. We really have no idea what bass do stuff from peeps who are spending a lot of time with forward-facing sonar and who know more than most about the fish. Very interesting. So yeah, I, um, I I found that when when I read that I found that that to be it's there's just there's just so much of that in fishing. I think uh, an easy one, and I don't know if this will be determined through forward facing sonar, but color is another one. We we think fish are um, you know they like certain colors and um, you know even even how you work a bait. Um, there's a lot of things that we think are making fish bite that probably aren't the reason, real reasons why fish are biting. And, and there's just a ton of myths that can, be, that can really be debunked. Uh, and I think forward-facing sonar is going to be doing a ton of debunking. All right, so I have uh, some rain gear here. This next story, I have been um, lucky enough that... Every few years, I get new rain gear to work in. Um, Major League Fishing sets me up. And what I've noticed, uh, you know, getting new rain gear is that it, it does not, um, with, with a few, I, I, it, it's kind of surprising to me. Rain gear is failing. Um, high-end rain gear is failing when I used to be of the the thought that, you know, high-end rain gear lasted, you know, it was water repellent for a long time, um, and it would just keep you dry. Well, I've found out through um, just working in the most uh, wet and kind of ridiculous conditions that high-end rain gear, um, you know, rain gear that is not cheap, 
Let's put it that way, right? Everybody has their idea of rain gear that's, let's say rain gear, you know, that's over $100 for, you know, a jacket, over $100 for bibs. That rain gear um, will stop being repellent for a while, so or water repellent for a while. So one of the, the stories here, the most important thing we probably never knew about rain gear, and so this is again from Bass Blaster. Thank you, Jay Kumar. Here it is. High-end rain suits get less effective over time. And you're thinking to yourself, that what? Certainly what I was thinking. In fact, pretty fast, depending on how they're used. But they can be revived, restored, and renewed. This is not a commercial, by the way. I, I, this, I've noticed this happening, so hopefully you guys can... Um, this is valuable to you. But you can't wait too long to start doing that. Did you know that? I mean, good rain gear is expensive. It's good to know. So what he's saying here is that... Um, you can't, you have some time to revive, restore, and renew your rain gear, but you can't wait too long to do it. And so that's completely new to me. I thought even if you had, uh, you know, older rain gear, you know, high-end rain gear, you could, you could still, you know, recharge the stuff, if you will. But evidently, um, that's not the case. I kind of knew, this is from Jay Kumar, I kind of knew that from bird hunting in the woods, rough grouse and Gore-Tex stuff, but I didn't know that all, uh, didn't know all there was to know till I talked to Basshead Tag Watson. What a name, by the way, Tag Watson. It's a great name. The head sales dude at a company called Gear Aid. So I've learned about Gear Aid recently, um, and so I had a buddy, I've had failed. So this rain gear I have here um, does not, is is no longer water repellent and in fact um i'm going to give you all these uh tips here on how to make stuff water repellent again and i'm going to give away uh this i don't know how i'm going to give it away yet but i'm going to give away this this rain gear it's great rain gear it's just not water repellent anymore you can make it water repellent hopefully um by doing this actually let's go here um, yeah, so over time with just abrasion and use in oils and all the things we do as anglers, including jamming rain gear and boat compartments, the durable water repellent stuff uh, that comes on the garment starts to wear off. Then the water no longer beads and starts to absorb into the fabric, which impedes breathe breathe <laughs> breathability. And when breathability is impeded, even if it's not leaking, you will have internal condensation, moisture inside your rain gear. I have experienced all of this. A lot of people think that once the rain gear starts losing performance, it's done, which is exactly, which is exactly what I thought. And I'd, I'd curse out the rain gear. I'd get very mad at the rain gear until I learned about this product that you could put on. Um... A lot of people think that once the rain gear starts losing performance, it's done. But there are ways to properly clean it. You don't want to use regular detergents. Okay, that's news to me. Another thing that's important to understand is durable water repellents. Uh, durable water repellent likes to adhere to existing durable water repellent. So you want to start using the renewal st uh, stuff. So basically this Gear Aid product, I'll talk to, to you about here shortly, 
early and often in the life of the garment. If, after years, all the factory durable water repellent is gone, it's very difficult to restore that uh, restore like new performance to the garment. So ideally, you want to treat it within the first season. Um, that is not going to be a possibility with this rain gear that I'm, I'm going to give away. But you can still try it with a gear aid. Um, and, you know, we'll see. Maybe I'll just give this stuff away instead of doing a giveaway. I mean, it's a giveaway. I got to figure out a way to give away this stuff. What am I trying to say? Um, I don't want this... Let me know in the comments if you think I should do a giveaway with this rain gear that no longer works. That might start to work if we use this gear aid stuff. We'll have to... Anyway, let me keep on reading here. I don't want to get beside the point here. Um, another thing that's important to understand... Like, okay, so... First, if you wait until performance has started to slide, you can improve performance, but you will not get like new performance again. Okay, so there it is. Uh, you can get you can get this improved better, but you will not get like new performance. So I'm not really. I still want to give away this this rain gear. It still should be useful to someone. Um, it just won't be like brand new. Okay, so let me know if I should do a giveaway of this rain gear, and we'll go from there. How about that? All right, where were we? Um, so Jay Kumar says, forgot to say that Tag lives in Whatcom County, Washington, which gets some of the most rain in the country, so he ought to know. Here's a couple Gear Aid products he recommends, and this is just an FYI because it's good info. He says, Gear Aid is not paying for this. It's not paying for this either, for me to say this, but I know of this product, and I know... It works well. So step one, you want to use this Revive X Pro Cleaner. Uh, you want to properly clean the gear. So step one is basically removing, uh, cleaning the gear and removing any oils on it. And that's what this uh, Pro Cleaner does. Gosh, it sounds like a commercial. I don't want it to be, but here it is. This gentle formula is designed to clean Gore-Tex products, synthetics, insulation, and synthetic fabrics safely and effectively. Unlike regular laundry detergent, this specialized liquid cleaner leaves no residue behind and aids the water repellency by removing dirt and oils. Use this cleaner to maintain breathability and as the first step before using Revivex water repellent. So step one, use the Revivex Pro Cleaner. Gets all of uh, the dirt and oils off. And then step two, you want to use the Revivex Durable Water Repellent Spray. And, uh, yep, step two is treating it with the Durable Water Repellent. Restore the Durable Water Repellent coating on Gore-Tex jackets, bibs, and other non-Gore-Tex waterproof breathable outerwear. Over time, Durable Water uh, resistance uh, on technical gear wears off and the fabric gets dirty and absorbs water. Regular reproofing treatment of rain gear jackets and bibs, soft shells, hunting clothing, and Gore-Tex jackets is highly recommended to continuously repel water. So, yeah, that is, uh, who would have ever thunk it? I had no idea you had to work this hard to keep rain gear water repellent, but I've seen it firsthand. Um, so hopefully this will help you guys out. And uh, to so these again this this uh, product is called Gear Aid, and they have uh, some other stuff too. You might find useful a zipper looper can stick to help with zippers, unstick zippers quickly, and then 
a Revive X suede and fabric boot care kit. So similar to the rain gear, but for your boots. Uh, so that can be, um, you know, very helpful. And again, like who would, isn't it crazy that rain gear um, does not stay waterproof for very long? So that first, you know, that first season you have that rain gear, you really need to be, uh, again, it's gear aid. I want to make sure on that. Yeah. So the name of the company is gear aid, two words, gear aid. And that's really uh, the best product. They have a number of products, but best company to bring your rain gear back that that I can see that I've uh, found. So um, I, I, I want to give this rain gear away. But, you know, I have a new pair of rain gear that I, evidently I'm going to have to start treating like ASAP. So that I thought I'd pass it along to you. I thought that was very interesting. Um, who knew? So moving on. I've talked uh, about this in the past, and we are definitely getting to a point where equipment on boats is, I mean, it's its wild. Uh, back in the day, I remember seeing a shirt. This is probably like in the 90s. I remember seeing a shirt that had this, it had a, a, a guy in a bass boat, and he had every conceivable uh, contraption on this bass boat. It looked he had like a satellite dish on the bass boat. He had, um, you know, a giant. Uh, you know, it, it was making a mockery of like how bass fishing uh, was back then. How sophisticated and how all the uh, how much gear you needed. Well, it, it was like a cartoon version of a bass fisherman in a boat that had all kinds of crazy gear on it. Well, we are now living in an era where that is like that, that, that t-shirt back in the day, it's not even close to how it is now. And I I think it's funny that, um, in order to compete, um, and granted this is the highest level, but look at this. If you're listening to the audio podcast, what I'm showing right now is a, boat that is being rigged by an angler called Alex Weatherall, and he is a Bassmaster Elite Series rookie. So this is a guy uh, on the rookie side of the Elite Series, and he's qualified to get to that that level, which is by no means uh, easy. But look at what someone needs to to have uh, on their boat here. Uh, in order to compete at that level, right? So uh, in this picture, you can see, so he's he's in his, I imagine this is from his garage and he is rigging his boat for the new season. He's got two Minn Kota Raptors. He's got a Minn Kota Ultrex. Uh, those are the highest and, you know, basically a Raptor is a shallow water anchor, the Ultrex is a trolling motor. This is very high-end equipment. He also has the Mega 360 imaging, the Mega Live imaging. Um, he's got the Solix 10-inch. Solix is Humminbird's most high-end fish finder. Uh, he's, he's got all the bells and whistles. He's got everything you could imagine to be a successful Elite Series angler. And... It, 
I just looking at the amount of electronics this guy has that he is going to be installing or has installed on his on his boat. Um, the fish have nowhere to hide, man. They are screwed. He is going to light up the Elite Series, no doubt, with all that stuff. Uh, it is going to propel him into the winner's circle, and no one stands a chance, except actually everybody else has that same gear on their boats. And, uh, I mean, that's what you got to do to compete. I think that that level, that's fine. Um, Understood. I'm all for technology and 360 imaging is unbelievable. And also the live, which is forward-facing sonar, unbelievable. Um, I suppose maybe if I had that amount of money, um, I would, you know, do the same. I would probably put all, I, I mean, I think I, I, I don't know. Um, but it probably gets to a point where it gets to be a little ridiculous. All that stuff, uh, stops working too and then you have to fix it so there is something very very beautiful about just keeping things simple and i kind of i've said this before in the last podcast i don't think that it's a good idea uh, especially starting out that we try to promote that that's what it takes to be successful you got these young high school anglers even college anglers um, i think it's you know we need to we need to focus on the important rudimentary basics first and getting that all dialed in um, before we make it so that these anglers, these young anglers think that they need to have all this stuff to compete. I don't think high school and college anglers should need all this stuff to compete, honestly. I think it hurts the sport. I think to keep the sport um, uh, vibrant, let's say, to have more anglers, young anglers coming into it, um, other than just uh, well-off anglers, young anglers. I think we need to um, make it so that uh, these young anglers, they can, they can compete without needing all this stuff, okay? And a lot of it is stuff. You can be the greatest angler with all that stuff. I've seen it firsthand. I've been in bass clubs where anglers had all of this uh, you know, a lot of this high-end equipment on their boats, and they were actually really terrible fishermen. So um, if, you're a, if you're a good fisherman, if you're a great fisherman, and you don't have this stuff, um, you're going to be that much better if you can get to a point where you can have this stuff. But focus on uh, just the, the basics first. And uh, again, I don't think that, um, I, I think we, the bass fishing, the sport of bass fishing is shooting itself in the foot if we make it so these high school and college anglers need this stuff to compete. I think that's stupid. It's way too expensive. Way too expensive. Okay, that's my rant. Um, all right, so was talking a little bit about this uh, coming into the podcast here. Um, so I've, as I said in the beginning of this, uh, this podcast, I see a lot of, I'm, I'm lucky enough to live um, near a city that has a ton of lakes within the city limits. And while I'm driving through Minneapolis, this is the city I'm talking about, while I'm driving through Minneapolis, there's bodies of water everywhere. And sometimes I see bodies of water that don't have a lot of stuff going on. And if I was out, so I, I live in the country, but if, if, so if I was out, you know, in the country 
And I didn't really see that happening. If I saw, you know, smaller bodies, it, it depends, I guess. Smaller bodies of water, I can understand why they might not have as much going on. You don't see any permanence, you know, set up or you just you don't see many people fishing, right? But in a city situation, I it's crazy. I just, there's just less, you would think it might be the opposite maybe, but unfortunately there's less, I don't, maybe I shouldn't say unfortunately. I feel like there's less people fishing in the city, while there still could be amazing fishing opportunities in the city. I think what might happen is just in general, people are in the city. They live, they live in the city. Why do you live in the city? <clears throat> well, I live in the city because I like cities. I don't like nature, right? So you don't have people fishing, right? That could be a reason. Um, also, it could be, you know, the, the fishing could suck. That's why I'm not seeing anybody out there, but I have a hard time believing that. Um, so, <clears throat> like, when you're out here in the country, uh, you know, you, you, you'll see if a, if a lake's popping, you'll see that there's, there's activity. Uh, there's some, obviously, there's some uh, situations where that might not be the case, especially if you're, you know, you're living in a place that has a lot of bodies of water to choose from. Um, but in general, I think that what I'm seeing in the Twin Cities here near me, which is Minneapolis-St. Paul, the fact that I'm not seeing a lot of activity on those lakes, I just mean, I think what it is is that there's just less fishing pressure there, right? And also, I think anglers don't want, you know, the, 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 a lot of anglers don't want to go in the city to fish. But I think there could be... Um, opportunities in the cities that people are missing, right? So uh, with that being said, and this this isn't, I guess this happened last season, this crappie was, was caught. Um, but this is uh, what I'm about to show you here. So this is caught by a guy named Wyatt Williams. He caught and released this giant crappie, which I'm about to show you. Um, it measured 17 and three quarters inches, 17.75 inches long. That was with the mouth closed with a 15-inch girth and weighed just over three pounds. So that is a giant crappie. A lot of times uh, we think that we have to go to far-flung places, ways away, you know, uh, to, to catch big fish, catch big crappies, catch big walleyes. But I think there's some opportunities available to us closer. And in my particular case, I think um, it might be available in Minneapolis. So here we go. This is the big crappie. If you're watching on the video podcast, this is a beautiful crappie. And um, that's, um, you know, I wonder how many of those are swimming within city limits. So that really got my uh, my curiosity uh, peaked. And I've, I've thought about this just in general before. So, But seeing this, this is uh, from Target Walleye. So thank you, Brett McComas, for this. Um, and this is a little background info from the gentleman that caught this big crappie within the city limits. Way too many fishless nights and multiple 100 whole days have gone into the past seven years of trying to find a fish of this caliber. When I say Bobby Beattie, that's his friend, and I have worked ourselves to death to see a fish like this, it is truly what I'm talking, he says, it is truly meant. Uh, so it's, it, he really means it. All it took was luck and a high-pressure bluebird sky day to land this giant metro three-pound, one-ounce black crappie. 
We watched this fish on live scope vapor trail through a pack of smaller fish and slam a spoon with no bait. No idea what a vapor trail is. Um, but anyway, slammed a spoon with no bait, doubling over my W2 custom rods noodle. I like how he's getting specific on the, uh, the brand here. Uh, she went on three drag screaming pike-like runs before that giant nog and scraped up uh, an eight-inch hole. Huge thanks to Bobby for sticking to the grind with me, playing auger boy, and landing the fish that's been keeping this dream alive. And he caught this uh, fish on a didn't have it was just a naked spoon. Did not have um, wasn't tipped with a nightcrawl or a, with a minnow head or anything. And this is a clam jointed pit head minnow uh, that he caught it on. So, which is probably a bait that style of bait is. Uh, I want to start actually uh, doing some underwater stuff with, just see what it looks like underwater. And yeah, so that's, you know, that's something that I've thought about, you know, what, what is swimming in those lakes within the city limits of Minneapolis? St. Paul, I'm sure there's bodies of water around there too, but specifically uh, Minneapolis, the city of lakes, what is going on there? Am I missing something? Do I need, uh, do I need to head over there and, uh, try some ice fishing uh, this winter. So thought that was interesting. Thank you, Target Walleye, for that. Also, speaking of lures, ice fishing lures, uh, and underwater stuff that I want to film, so this is a new shadow wrap. Uh, this is a jigging wrap. They call these in the... In, it's funny. In ice fishing... Uh, this style of bait, what I'm showing, is basically a, it's a jigging wrap, right? But this is a new jigging wrap called the Rapala Jigging Shadow Wrap. And <clears throat> these lures are becoming more uh, common even in open water. They're using them uh, with forward-facing sonar to target fish that are basically out cruising the water column, fish that would typically, without forward-facing sonar, you would not be able to catch or be very difficult to catch. So guys that are fishing open water will use these jigging wrap type of lures uh, <clears throat> to, uh, to catch you know, open water. They'll, they'll cast these lures out, and they're using these uh, style of lures to catch bass with forward-facing sonar. I've filmed a uh, it was, I guess it was a year ago now, um, just roughly over a year ago, I f filmed a, oh gosh, what was the name of it? It was an amateur tournament that Bass Pro Shops put on, and it was on Table Rock Lake, and it was for a million dollars. So whoever won this tournament won a million dollars, and the guys that I was filming, they were fishing in no man's land. They were fishing out in the middle of a big creek, right? And... This was late fall, technically almost into winter, um, and the fish had moved off, and they were just targeting big schools of shad in no man's land. And what these guys were doing, they were using these, these jigging wrap-style lures. Um, they call them ice jigs there, which is funny. Like, this is down in Missouri, so in the central part of the state, they're calling these lures ice jigs. Um, but... They're very effective in open water, very effective under the ice, and uh, this is reported in Target. Uh, actually, this is Bass Blaster. 
Uh, bass peeps call them ice jigs, but ice walleye fishermen and Rapala call them jigging wraps. The newest version is the Rapala jigging shadow wrap. Wondered why they're using the shadow wrap jerk make name, so I looked into it. Uh, Jay Kumar says, following in the footsteps of the original, actually this is uh, what Rapala says, following in the footsteps of the original Rapala jigging wrap, the much lighter jigging shadow wrap features a slower darting action. So it's a little bit more of a subtle um, bait. Come to find out that a lot more people are using these in cold water for green fish for bass than I realized. So yes, I've seen people using these. They're jigging wraps or that style of bait. Everybody's using them uh, or, or developing them now, manufacturing them now. Uh, Clam has got um, one called the Tika Minnow, I believe is the name of it. I'm going to do some underwater uh, vids soon. I'll probably do that next week of uh, the different versions of this style of lure. Um, but I think it's interesting just their action, uh, how they move vertically. Um, but what's great too is that they can also be fished. You can cast these as well, but they really shine vertically. So this shadow wrap, um, I'm going to do a bunch of different uh, uh, ver you know, di different baits but I think I'm going to buy one of these shadow wraps and see how it differs from just a regular um, jigging wrap. So going to check that out. Thought that was interesting that that was covered in target that uh, excuse me bass blaster. So the bass guys are talking about jigging uh, jigging style jigging wrap style lures. There's probably a better name for that style of lure. I should know it. Um, but yeah, so and then here's the here's I, this is something that I thought was gonna was gonna happen uh, like a year ago. I thought there was gonna be this big announcement that Mercury was coming out with an electric motor. Turns out they're coming out with a 600 horsepower motor. But fast forward to uh, just recently, Mercury has got a new. Uh, it's got a, they've got a new outboard out. Um, let's see here. I, let me just show you this thing. That's not it. This is one thing I need to get better at while I'm uh, doing these podcasts, the video podcasts in particular. I need to get better at actually bringing up the right shot. Here is the Mercury Avatar. Avatar? Avatar, I guess that's what it is. Uh, it is an electric outboard. And I knew this had to be coming down the pike. Uh, yeah, they've got the 600 horsepower, but they have this Mercury Avatar electric outboard. And this thing, well, let's just get into the kind of the press release here. Um, okay, the annual consumer electronics, and this is right off of Mercury's press release, basically. I found this off. Um, I get Mercury. I have uh, a couple of Mercury outboards. And so I get emails from them. The annual Consumer Electronics Show is a showcase of new technologies that can have a positive impact on our lives. That makes it the perfect place to unveil the latest Mercury innovation, a product that continues our mission to make boating more sustainable. And some people that are listening to this podcast might want to know what the hell that means. We're not going to get into it. Okay, we're just going <laughs> to... We're just going to read this press release from Mercury. Uh, while providing more opportunities for people to enjoy the water. At CES 2023 in Las Vegas, Mercury unveiled its all-new Avatar, 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 
7.5e electric motor. It's the first electric outboard model for Mercury and the first in a series to be officially unveiled in 2023. More powerful Avatar 20e and 35e outboard concepts, which are currently in development, were also displayed at CES. What an exciting... I love, I love when the, uh, the, the people from the company have their quotes, you know, um, like the the senior category manager, here's, here's what he has to say. What an exciting moment for Mercury, said Jim Hergert, senior category manager for small outboards at Mercury. We have an incredible history as the leader in outboard technology, and the Avatar family builds on our legacy. In fact, the name Avatar, Avatar, I want to say Avatar, Avatar. Avatar is both uh, a nod to our past and look to our future. It's a blend of advanced and Thor. Thor was the first outboard ever from Mercury. It was a small portable model that kicked off the brand and led to so many exciting innovations. Thor has a lot of parallels with the Avatar program. We're creating an entirely new family of electric outboards that will redefine the category. So very, uh, very interesting, must say very interesting. Uh, we'll get into a little bit here. I don't want to read, you know, too much of this uh, because, you know, press releases are never too fun to read. Advanced controls, batteries, and chargers slated to be available for purchase later this year. The Avatar 7.5, so I guess that's like a seven, seven and a half horse. I guess that's what that means. 7.5e electric outboard will be offered with tiller or remote controls. Tiller models are highly portable thanks to clever features like a tiller handle that folds down to become a carrying handle and a quick connect mounting system that allows the outboard to snap into place on the transom bracket. Remote models pair with one of three control options designed to fit a variety of small boat helms. All are powered by an interchangeable lithium-ion battery pack developed in partnership with the battery experts at MasterVolt. By developing interchangeable batteries, we were able to give uh, boaters the ability to outfit themselves with enough power to enjoy more fun outdoors, said Hergert. With any electric mobility system, range and runtime are impacted by many factors. In this case, they're dependent on the boat, load, operating speed, water conditions, and more. Most anglers and casual boaters who operate at varied speeds and make frequent stops should have plenty of runtime for an exciting trip on the water. I'd really be curious to know exactly how long this thing lasts, uh, these batteries. Boaters who need to stay out longer or go farther can bring along an extra battery. Swapping batteries literally only takes seconds. That's very cool. Very cool. If you're a fan of, um, I, you know, I remember, I remember when uh, the first electric uh Auger came out for ice fishing, the Ion, which I have. I have the first generation. I was like, man, this is going to make gas uh, gas augers obsolete, which it has. Like, it's it's so much easier just, you know, to, to use electric, right? Just to, just to put a battery on, not to worry about mixing gas or just to fill the, you know, fill it with gas, get the gas, fill it with gas, the mess with all that. It's so easy just to charge a battery. And I'm very impressed with the batteries just for, with these ion, with these augers, these um, electric augers, how well they hold a charge, uh, they handle the cold well. 
um, the battery techno- uh, technology just in general has really, really improved. So I, you know, I like the idea, the simplicity of an electric outboard, um, you know, especially with, you know, smaller boats. So the battery can be charged overnight using the included charger while additional higher speed chargers will be a higher speed chargers will be available so boaters can choose their charge time. All chargers are compatible with a standard household outlet. So I think this um, this electric outboard is really going to shine on, first of all, obviously bodies of water where you can only have electric outboards. I know I used to live in Pennsylvania. There's plenty of, uh, you know, lakes, small reservoirs out there, you know, the Northeast where you can only have electric only. Same with like out West in California. Um, You know, bodies of water that are harder to access. um, And you, you know, you have a a smaller craft to access them. That electric outboard is going to come in really, really handy. So I think, I think there's going to be places where an electric Electric outboard like this is, you know, seven, I guess it's basically seven and a half horsepower. It's going to come in really, really handy. Uh, it's going to be really nice. This, the, the fact that you're not going to have to worry about the mess of gasoline and, and all of the problems that go along with that. Uh, there's fewer mo- moving parts in electric outboards, so uh, there's just there's going to be less maintenance uh, with it as well. So a lot of positives to electric um, and I'm excited how far Mercury's going to take this. I mean, how big of an electric outboard can you actually make? So we've seen with Tesla that you can have a high-end, uh, you know, car. You can have a essentially a sports sedan. Um, even you know, Tesla had uh, their their Roadster, uh, which was it's a sports car. So electric can do um, many many things better than gas. Uh, obviously not everything, but it, it's going to be interesting to see how well uh, they transition to this uh, electric kind of market, how, how Mercury does this, who else is going to get into the market, and then how big of an outboard can you actually put on a boat, and will boats uh, start to be designed specifically for electric outboards. So that's going to be fun to, uh, to check out. There's a lot going on. Uh, in the world of fishing. So, you know, just with technology and everything's just getting so uh, sophisticated. It's actually very, very exciting. One thing, unfortunately, that hasn't, though, is, is rain gear, evidently. But there it is. I don't think, what what else? I think I've covered everything. I think this might be the end of today's podcast. So, exciting week ahead. I hope you guys have had uh, a, a, a great um what, when was it? January, the week of January 2nd. I hope that was a great week for you. We are in 2023. Hope you're catching lots of fish. And I'm going to go ice fishing this week. Wish me luck. I'm thinking it's probably going to be catfish. So hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Check out our YouTube angling uploaded. Just search it. I will see you next week.